Well, it's a great joy to welcome Quatley to uh, share a word with us tonight. Quatley, over to you. Thanks, Liz. For those of you that you don't know me or we haven't met, maybe you started coming to Incarnation in this season and uh, we haven't had the pleasure. I'm Quatley Rivieri and I am a postulant for the diaconate at Incarnation. So I'm very um, honored and to share the homily tonight. Um, when I was reading through tonight's gospel reading uh, from John, I couldn't help but contrast it with another gospel reading, which we could have read tonight, the one found in the gospel according to Luke. And I can't help but to notice the different emphases that Luke and John highlight in their accounts at the Last Supper. And yet beyond these diverging emphases, um, the message from Jesus is consistent. Uh, even when Luke highlights more Jesus' teaching and principles, whereas John focuses more on Jesus' actions, like the washing of feet. Luke, in his gospel, emphasizes Jesus' speech to the disciples or his teaching, in one sense rebuking the idea that any of them had earned the title of greatest amongst them. At the same time, Jesus redefines their understanding of greatness by declaring that great is he who is the youngest or the lesser in their society, and that the mantle of leadership would fall upon those that choose to serve. John, in the reading we read tonight, emphasizes less Jesus' speech, but focuses on the watching of the feet of the disciples and on the disciples' lack of understanding as to why Jesus, their Lord and teacher, would humiliate himself in fulfilling the role of a servant or even a slave. In spite of these, you know, different differences at a glance, both of these accounts uh, identify three clear principles in common. One is that greatness, as defined by Judaic, Greco-Roman, or most societies, isn't the same as the greatness in the kingdom of God, where the young are great and where those who serve shall lead. Uh, a second observation is that to serve one another may and will demand at some point taking the role of not just a servant, but potentially that of a slave in washing the feet of our peers and those that we consider lesser to us. And number three, the third observation being that these principles, which we could argue shouldn't be a surprise to the men that has spent the most time with Jesus over throughout his ministry, are not just difficult to grasp, but forever challenging to apply to our daily lives. Maybe this is why Jesus decided to teach them about it after the meal, so they could actually focus on what he was telling them and not just being hungry. But maybe that's just a, a side observation. But there are also three other observations that may or may not be less obvious about these passages found in both Luke and John. One is that Jesus, in his final moments, before the suffering of his passion and crucifixion, chose to spend time with and watch the feet of not just his good disciples, but also of Judas, the traitor. It's very interesting of Jesus to highlight not just his awareness that he had been betrayed, but also to choose to serve and humiliate himself even before Judas. A second observation is that the very action of washing the feet of his inferiors is a powerful symbol of how the kingdom of God was unfolding as a force that defied every understanding 
that the ancient and modern world had of ethnic and economic hierarchies. Jesus being a teacher and their leader chose to shatter such a norm across cultures and in socioeconomic statuses that his disciples couldn't help but feel extremely embarrassed. This was, a, this, was, this was much less a political statement and more of a statement about the reality of the kingdom of God. But my final observation, and maybe this is already obvious to you, is that um, as Pastor Tim Keller put it in his sermon, Jesus sat in the midst of joy, sipping the coming sorrow, so that today we can sit in the midst of sorrow and sip the coming joy. And I'll expand more on that. When Liz asked me to share the homily on Monday Thursday over two months ago, the world was a very different place, but I don't need to tell you that. We simply can't escape the news about the world that we live in and this pandemic. Indeed, the only way to escape the barrage of news would be to fast all social and news media. And even then, some of it would sneak through to you. And yet, even in our present darkness, Jesus sat with his disciples, aware of his coming sorrow and suffering. And what did he choose to do? He served. He lowered himself. He took the form of a servant and a slave. He loved. He taught. He helped. He declared the kingdom of God, both in word and in deed, to those that were both to both those that were loyal to him and those who would let him down. It is difficult to understand. This is it's difficult to stand or, or actually sit here and, and preach a homily or, or sermon on service and sacrifice, knowing that as a church and as a wider community and society, we've already been asked to sacrifice so much. Whether because of your Lent fasting or because of this pandemic, we have been asked to sacrifice and to each do our part, our duty, you could say. When I began Lent, I had a very good plan for my fasting. And I'm not highlighting it to brag, but um, I think I decided to fast like alcohol and gluten. So all good breads, basically. <laughs> Caffeine and, and most added sugars. I, I don't know what I was getting into, but I just went in, you know, head first. Um, and I don't share this to brag, but to highlight that on top of my plan for Lent, I've also been asked through the season to distance myself from all my friends and community, like the rest of us, but to also trust God with the everyday uncertainties of this season. Is my job secure? Is my wife safe? Is my family safe? If someone got sick, could I even be able to help or aid them in any way? How helpless do I wanna to feel today when I wake up? We've been asked to trust God with all those uncertainties. And yet on top of what we've been asked to give up and sacrifice, I want to take a moment to honor you, to honor you because as a church, we haven't remained dormant and passive in the season of need, but we've risen to the challenge of being a beacon of the love of the kingdom in our neighborhoods, in our communities, cities, and in our country. In this present darkness, Incarnation Anglican has put on the towel or rags of a servant and you've chosen to serve. If I may highlight some of the ways you have all served your peers and the least among you in this season. Um, 
Over the last few weeks, you've served and supported one another, running errands and picking up supplies for each other. You've shared the hope and the message of the kingdom by inviting friends and family to online services. You've donated blood at a time when there is an urgent need for it across the country, and less and less people are going to blood drives. You've supported the ministry and services of large in multiple ways. You supported the ministry and services of Kryla Restoration Immigration Legal Aid. You supported grocery delivery service for the deli grocery deliveries for families. You've volunteered at asylum seeking uh, as, uh, clinics for asylum seekers. Uh, you've provided meal bags to some of the most vulnerable in our community. You've committed to COVID-19 weekly outreach gifts to organizations serving when the support is, the, is most urgent and needed. <sighs> and, and that's just the material and physical support. I haven't done justice to all the ways in which you've all served and continue to support the spiritual needs of one another in the wider community. So all that being said, let's take a moment to praise God for all the ways in which the Holy Spirit has led us to love and serve in our present context. Let's praise God then, let's praise God that when the principle and standard was to close our doors, to distance ourselves, and to shut away, that incarnation not only acted responsibly, but also asked the question, who has been left behind at this hour? And our response has been, here we are, Lord, send us. And yet, and yet, this atmosphere of pestilence, of uncertainty, and maybe even death remains, right? This season of special trials, for there are always trials in all seasons, is still here. It's end not in sight. So what do we do in this present season? How do we embody Christ in the kingdom as, as this situation continues, as our present, this present pandemic or the season of darkness just remains? My challenge to you on this Monday Thursday is twofold. First, carry on. It is in this season, more than in others maybe, that we must listen, we must listen to and continue to serve and love one another. For through our embodiment of Jesus in love and in service, and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we shall be able to stand up in the midst of sorrow and sip the coming joy. So carry on. In the second part to my challenge, I want to encourage you that as we walk through what seems like a cold valley of death, because there are days where it feels like that. I want to remind you that there is a thawing coming at the end of the season. We may not see it, we may not grasp it yet, but there is a thaw coming. And when the thaw begins and the disease begins to wash away, let's ask ourselves, can Incarnation Anglican Church be a place where we can welcome in the thawing? Will we be ready and willing to serve in the thawing, which may be just as emotionally as economically difficult as the present? Will we be able to put aside our garments and to put the towel and rags of a servant or slave in order to both lead and serve? 
the challenge there is to pray, to pray with one another and for one another, to converse with the Holy Spirit, and to be ready to rise to the challenge of the thaw that we may sip through this present sorrow, aware of the victory and joy won by Christ for us. Thanks, everyone.